Hey, if you have a Bible and you brought one with you, open it up to Luke chapter 24. We'll be in Luke chapter 24 this morning. You know, Easter is a, is a wonderful family time. It's a time where usually there's a big meal that goes along with it. But uh, I say thank you for coming this morning to spend some time with the Lord and spend some time in His Word uh, with us. I'm glad that you're here. If it's your first time, we're glad you're visiting. Uh, so I just wanted to say thank you and welcome you. All right. Luke chapter 24. Here in our study, just to kind of bring you up to speed, Christ has died on the cross. He has been crucified by the Romans. The the Jews put them up to it. He's been crucified by the Romans. Towards the end of the day, after he's taken down from the cross, he's laid in a tomb. Uh, It's a tomb that no one else has laid in. And uh, he's being laid there for what they think is eternity. They think the disciples and those that were following Christ were, they were all torn up. They didn't know what to think. The man that they had been following for the last three years has been laid to rest. This is where their hope lied. This is in their hope of being released from the Roman rule, being, being released from the governmental system that the Romans had placed over them. And they, they just left there all broken up. And we told, we're told at the end of chapter 23, there's a group of ladies, and they returned and they prepared spices. They rested on the Sabbath day, but they had witnessed where, this group of ladies had witnessed where Christ had been laid in this empty tomb, where his body had been laid. And then we pick up on chapter 24, what had taken place is it's likely that Christ was crucified. There was a Sabbath day, which could have been either Friday and Saturday, or just Saturday, depending on what you, how you study it and what you think. Some think he was, he was actually crucified on Thursday, some think Friday. It doesn't really matter. The bottom line is he was crucified and he rose from the dead. We could argue about that all day, but that does, that's not what we're here for. We're here to celebrate his resurrection. So here... On what we know as the first day of the week, which is Sunday morning, very early in the morning, as soon as it was light probably, these ladies and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now we're looking at Luke's version this morning. Each gospel has a different version. It's, it's not different, it's just they focus on different things, different, different aspects of the same story. Um, They're not exactly alike, which I think gives it credibility. If four people were to sit down and write the exact same story, I would say, well, that doesn't really make sense. You must have talked about it. Because if we were to all go on a trip together, we were all to share an experience together, and I said, write down what your experience was, we wouldn't expect an exact replica of each person's experience. You might have focused on one thing, I might have focused on another. So we're okay with the slight variations. They all say the same thing in the sense that Christ was crucified and he rose from the dead. But here's what takes place. These women come back to the, to the tomb that morning. They have some spices. They're going to continue to embalm the body. And it's been three days. But we're told in another gospel, as they're going back to the tomb, they're wondering, how are we going to move the rock? How are we going to move the stone out of the way? But then they find themselves arriving at the tomb. And we just read, Luke tells us, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. The stone was moved. They enter the tomb. They look around. He's gone. We're told the grave clothes still remain. The blood stain that was laying there on the the slab would have been still there. But the body of Christ is gone. Now, what do you think is happening in their heart? What's going on? What's taking place? I gotta, I gotta stop right there. Why do you think the stone was rolled away? Do you think it was so Christ could get out? No. 
he could walk through doors. We see that happen. The stone was rolled away so we could see in. Think about that for a minute. He didn't need to move the stone to get out, but we needed to see in that he wasn't there. If the stone was never rolled away, what would we have thought? He's still in there, right? We would have just naturally assumed that, you know, when we bury somebody today, we assume they're still there. But the stone's rolled away so that we can see in. These ladies are are, are our testimony. They go into the tomb. They look in. He's gone. He's gone. It's not there. Look what happens next in verse 4. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed, and I would be too about this, you would be too, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth, and they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Now let me get your attention. Here's what's taking place. They go into the, they go into the grave. They're greatly perplexed. They're scratching their heads. They're confused. What's going on? They're upset. They're saddened. They're trying to figure out, they're trying to make sense of this situation, what's taking place. And then all of a sudden there's two men standing there. And we know those two men are angels. We're told they have shining garments. The women bow their heads to them. And then they're asked a question. They're asked a question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Wait a minute. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Why are you looking for somebody that's alive in a tomb? He's not here. Look, what, look keep reading. He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. So here's what takes place. They come into the tomb. They're trying to make sense. They're perplexed. They're scared. These these two angels show up. They say, "What, what are you looking for? He's alive. He's risen. And they say something I think is very, very important. Because right now, about this point in the story, you might be scratching your head going, wait a minute, Rob. I don't know if I'm buying all this. I don't know if this resurrect, you know, resurrection, rising from the dead, three days. I, you know, three days being dead is a long time. Listen, I want to share something with you. I'm going to share some things about the resurrection this morning. I'm going to share three things in particular. And the first thing I want you to understand is... is It was predicted. Jesus predicted that he would rise from the dead. This is not a a chance. This is not just a a happening thing. This is not something that somebody could make up. This was predicted. It was foretold by Christ himself. Listen, I I want you to see what they say here. They say in verse 6, he's not here, he's risen. Remember, which means to recall, to remind yourself, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. Remember what he told you? He told you the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. He's going to be crucified. And the third day he was going to rise again. They had forgot that part. They had forgot. The angel says, remember. Remember what Jesus said. That's a good tip for us in life too. Remember what Jesus said once in a while. Don't forget what he said because we can forget just like they were. They should have come to the tomb and realized, I know exactly what happened. He, told, he said he was going to rise from the dead. He did. But they're like us. Nah, he doesn't really mean rise from the dead. He really, does that, is that really what he means? Yeah, that's what he means. It was predicted. Well, Rob, was it, was it really predicted? I want to just share something with you. A couple of verses. You don't need to turn there. Just listen. John chapter 2, verse 19. As Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he's cleansing the temple. And he says this, or the, the, the Jews answer him and they say this to him. They ask, what sign do you show us since you do these things? 
What sign do you show us? Because you're, you're cleansing our temple. You're turning over our tables. You're, you're driving out our money changers. Why are you doing this? And he says, I'll show you a sign. He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this temple in three days I will raise it up. He was referring to his body. They thought he was referring to the temple, but he was referring to his body. Now, that's not the only place it happens. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He spoke this word openly. I just quoted to you Mark chapter 8, verse 31. It's not the only place he predicted it. Mark chapter 10, verse 33 through 34. He tells the apostles, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests, to the scribes. They'll condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, they'll scourge him, they'll spit on him, and they'll kill him. And the third day, he will rise again. Mark chapter 14. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Jesus' prediction about his resurrection was common knowledge. Everybody knew it. It wasn't like even the Jewish leaders knew about it. They knew that he was good. Well, how can you prove that? How do you know that they knew about it? Well, I just want to read something else for you. Matthew chapter 27 says this. This is right after his crucifixion on the next day, which followed the day of preparation. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they gathered together to Pilate. These are the religious leaders of the Jews. They gathered together to Pilate. He's the governor of the area, and they say this. Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. That's the chief priest saying that they remember it. Therefore, command the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he's risen from the dead. So the last deception would be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, go ahead, you have a guard. Go your way, make it secure. So they went and they made the tomb secure, sealing it, sealing the stone and setting the guard. They sealed the stone. They set the guard. Why did they do that? Matthew tells us because they were afraid that somebody would sneak in and steal his body and then say, look, he's risen from the dead. What gave them that idea? Because they called him a deceiver and they said, sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Interesting. The very people who crucified him knew the promise of resurrection. And they wanted to make sure that there was no hoax. There was no funny business. So they sealed the tomb, likely with a signet ring. You know what it means to seal the tomb? It means it can't be opened in a way without telling. Now, most of you guys know before I was a, a pastor, I was a police officer. And we used to seal evidence bags all the time. And you take an evidence bag, you'd put something in there, you'd, you'd staple it, and you'd put a piece of evidence tape over the, over, the, over the opening, and you would sign your name over the evidence tape. You know why you signed your name over the evidence tape? It was sealed. Because nobody could open that. Because someday in the future in court, they would show you that evidence bag and say, is this the, is this the bag? That's the bag. 
Was it opened? Nope, it wasn't opened. How do you know? Because I signed my name across this tape, and this tape hasn't been broken. Because nobody else can sign my name like I did. That's what the tomb was. It was sealed up with likely what was a signet ring, wax perhaps placed around the edges, perhaps a cord or a thread woven in a certain pattern or a certain direction to be able to prove that that could not be opened. When the tomb opened up, the soldiers took off. They took off. They were so afraid they would later have to go to the high priest and say, hey, can you protect us? Do you know what it was for a Roman soldier to leave his post? You know what the penalty was? It was death. It was death. For them to leave their post, they would be sentenced to death. It was, it was a, a dereliction of duty. It was a fail to uphold their, the, the orders they had been given. But they took off. Something mighty happened. Something great happened. What would you do if you're standing there and all of a sudden the rock rolls away and somebody walks out? Whoa! They took off. The stone was rolled away so that we could see in. Because it's the evidence that we need to know that he rose from the dead. But notice something about this resurrection, especially if you're skeptical. Skeptical. It was predicted. Jesus said, I will rise. He said, I will rise in three days. They understood that he said he would rise. And you know what? He did it. He rose. To this day, the tomb's empty. If they could have proven that he didn't rise, don't you think they would have done it? I bet they opened every tomb possible looking for a body. This is him, this is him, this is him, this is him. They could, there's, 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 it's not there. It's an empty tomb. Now, continuing on, these women are here. The angel says, remember what he said. They, we read in verse 8, they remembered his words. In verse 9, they returned from the tomb and they told these things to the eleven. Remember, Judas was gone at this point and to all the rest. We're told it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, the other women that were with them, who told these things to the apostles. In verse 11, their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. Would you? I'm, 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 I'm kind of skeptical of things. I'm kind of, you know, I don't know. You know. I don't know that I would have believed them either. You can imagine these ladies coming back, and it's interesting that the ladies were the ones coming back. Ladies were of very little value in that culture. Christ would reveal himself first to the ladies. Women were, were, were seen as property, not as, not as equal to a man at all back then. And they still are in some parts of the world. But Christ reveals himself to the women. Peter, in verse 12, arose and he ran to the tomb and he stood stooping down. He saw linen clo- linen, the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what happened. John tells us the funny story. John tells us, yeah, me and Peter, we heard about it, we ran to the tomb. And he also tells us who was faster. John got there first. John reminds us Peter's a little slower. Peter's a big guy. He's a fisherman. John was a fisherman. Peter runs a little slower, but John gets to the tomb and he looks in. Peter? Nah, Peter's, Peter's like a bull in a china shop. He runs right through the mouth of the tomb. He goes right on inside. That's, that's his personality. He goes right in. He gets in there and he looks around. He sees the linen cloth. He sees the, the laying there, but the body's gone. The stone's rolled away. And we're told here marveling to himself, scratching his head. This is the same Peter that denied knowing Jesus a couple of evenings before. Denied even knowing who he was. Jesus is being taken out. He looks at Peter. Peter takes off, weeping. Now he's trying to figure out what happened. He's probably wondering, am I in trouble? What's he going to do to me when he finds me? 
we know that he's going to forgive him and he's going to use him in a mighty way. But this next section, I'm going to kind of move through it quickly for the sake of time this morning, but I didn't want to skip over it because I think it's so, so important. The next section we're given here is what's commonly known as the road of Emmaus. There's a couple of apostles. One of them we know is Cleopas. We don't know the other one. Um, A couple of followers of Christ. And we pick up in verse 13. Now behold, the two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. They don't know where that is today. They're not sure. They talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and they reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. There's two guys walking on the way from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Passover is over. They're on their way home more than likely, on their way somewhere. We don't know for sure. And here's Jesus. He walks up alongside of them, but he does something interesting. They don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. Their eyes are restrained. Their eyes are blocked. They're not going to be able to see who he is. But look what he does. He said to them, what kind of conversation is this you're having with one another as you walk and are sad? What are you talking about, guys? You're you're so sad. What, What are you talking about? And look what they say. Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? This is great. I do this to my kids all the time. I want to hear their explanation. I just want to hear what they have to say. He says, well, what are you guys looking so sad about? What's wrong? You poor thing. And he goes, like, what are you, the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's going on? What are you, stupid? That's essentially what they're saying. What are you, you, you're not paying attention? Haven't you turned on CNN or Fox News to know what's going on? Now, I know they didn't have TV back then. How can you not know? Everybody knows what's going on. And he says, I don't know. What are you talking about? What are you thinking? And look what he does. He says, what things? So they said to him, you know, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And certain women of our company who arrived in the tomb early astonished us. They didn't find his body. They came saying that, he had also, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. I think he's giggling at this point. He's probably chuckling. This is kind of funny. They don't know who I am. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That was the greatest Bible lesson ever taught. That has to be the greatest Bible teaching in history. Jesus Christ starts with Moses and says, let me explain it to you. And he goes from Moses all the way up to who he is. I wish there was a DVD. I wish we could watch it. But we'll have to wait till we get to heaven to ask him. I wish we could see it. An incredible thing. 
They drew near to the village as they were going. He indicated that he would have gone further, but they constrained him. They're, they're taken in by it, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. He went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Can you imagine? You're walking along the road. He comes alongside of you. You don't recognize him. We don't recognize him today. He's with all of us. Sometimes we don't even realize he's there. He asks what's going on. And we begin to whine and cry and complain about life sometimes. But he listens and he hears and he takes it all in. And he realizes that they're trying to figure something out. What's going on? Why did this happen? We thought he was going to, you know, be the king of Israel. We thought he was going to do it this way. And I like this because he says, no, let me explain to you how it's supposed to be. And he starts with Moses and he shares everything with him, bit by bit, piece by piece. I don't know how long it would take him to walk seven miles, but I'm sure we are told when they get to the end, he's like, all right, I'll see you guys later. And like, no, 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 no. Stay with us. We're not done. Stay more. Stay more. And they sit down to eat together. He takes bread. He blesses it. And at that moment, their eyes are opened. That's him. And he's gone. And he's gone. And they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us? Well, he talked, to us, talked with us on the road. And while he opened the scriptures to us, so they rose up that very hour. Remember, it's seven miles back to where they came. And they returned to Jerusalem. And they found, found the eleven, that's the apostles, those who were with them, and they gathered together. And they said, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. They couldn't spend the night. They had to go back. They heard the story from the women, hey, he's risen. Yeah, but I don't know if we believe it. Let's go, let's go take a walk. Seven miles later, they meet Christ and they can't not go talk about it. They can't not, they can't just, you think they would have said, well, let's just spend the night. It's late, you know, it's seven miles back. Let's just have, we're just had a, a meal. Let's just relax. No, no, they're on their way back to Jerusalem. And I want to share this with you. Evidence that they had met with Christ is the fact that they had to go tell others. The evidence that they met with Christ is the very fact they couldn't keep it inside of them. They couldn't sleep on it. Well, let, let's figure it out. Let's, what is, was it really him? I don't really know. No, they knew it was him. They were sure of it, and they had to go back. Same thing for us. The evidence that you've met with Christ in your life is that you have to tell others about it. You're not going to sleep on it. You can't keep it inside. You can't not share Christ. You can't not tell what God's done in your life. You can't, I, let me tell you what he's doing in my life. Let me tell you what he's done. Let me tell you who I was. Let me tell you who I am. That's your testimony. That's the evidence that someone has met with Christ. And I want to share one other thing to you. Let's read verse 36 first. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. And he said to them, peace to you. Finally, there's peace between man and God. But they were terrified, frightened, and supposed they had seen a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, 
than it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit or a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you see I have. This is great. These men on the road to Emmaus go back to Jerusalem. They're telling about it. The women told about it. Now these men, and by the way, if you're just wondering, he appeared to about 15 groups of people after the resurrection. As they're in the process of telling them, here he shows up right in the midst of them. Now, I can just imagine half of them are going, uh-uh, I don't believe it. I know the lady said it. Now this is, uh-uh, no, not me. I don't believe it. Not, 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 mm not me. Boom, here he is. Here he is standing before them. Because he wants to dispel their disbelief. You see, their disbelief isn't a disbelief that says, I don't want to know. Their disbelief is a disbelief that says, I want to know if what I'm hearing is really true. I want to know, can I really trust what is being said? And look what he says. This is our Lord. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? I have in my Bible a note, I, and it says this, I need to hear this. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your heart? I need to hear that all the time. You ever doubt things in your life? You ever doubt things with the Lord? You ever doubt, wonder why? Why would God do something? Why, why is God allowed? Why, is God, why are you troubled? Why are these doubts arising in your heart? And he stands in their presence and he says this, Behold, my hands, here I am, here's the, here's the holes, my feet, here's the holes where the nails went through, and he shows it to them. Come, touch me, I've got a body, I've got a flesh, I'm not a ghost, I've got a spiritual body here, you can touch it. And then he does something really cool, look at what he says, because you know they're really freaked out at this point. He said, you got any food? I'm hungry. Verse 42, so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and some honeycomb, and he took it, and he ate in their presence. God's down to earth. He says, here, you're doubting? Let me eat for you. Touch, hang out, let's talk. Now, I, I want to share something with you. Along with, the, along with the fact that the resurrection was predicted, I believe there's proof of the resurrection. And I want to share a couple of those proofs with you this morning. I think the first proof of the resurrection is obviously the empty tomb. The fact that the tomb was empty. The fact that we read in the scriptures that the Bible tells us they tried to make it look like somebody stole the body. But they went to such great efforts beforehand to keep it from being stolen, they had really no leg to stand on. Because if they say it got stolen, they have to say the Roman soldiers were incompetent, or they fell asleep, or they were in on it, or something like that. The empty tomb is, is one of the greatest, greatest, greatest proofs of the resurrection. Do you realize that Christianity is the only religion with an empty tomb? Where's Buddha? He's in the grave. Where's Muhammad? He's in the grave. Na name them, whoever else, name whatever prophet or leader or religion you want. Where are they today? They're in the grave. Where's our Savior? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He rose from the dead. The proof of that is the empty tomb, but I also want to share something else with you. You know what else proves something to me? Witnesses. When people say something, when people can recount something, when people tell you something, there's value in witness testimony. Not a lot of value in one witness's testimony because they could lie, right? How many witnesses do you need? Well, the first witness we have is Christ himself. He comes before him and says, here I am. Here, here I am right in front of you guys and the apostles. Here I am. But we're also told in the book of Acts... I'm sorry, in the book of 1 Corinthians, 
we're told, For I delivered to you first all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. According to the Scriptures, He was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, then by the twelve. After Him, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom were the greater part remain to the present, which means they're alive when this is being written. But some have fallen asleep. Some have, some have passed away. You have the apostles as witness. You have the apostle Paul as a witness, the man who persecuted the church that is now switched over as he met Christ. He says he was a witness to Christ. We're told in the scriptures over 500 people saw that Christ had risen from the dead. Yeah, Rob, but I don't know. I mean, all those witnesses are Christians. They all could be in on it. It could be a, it could be, they could be in cahoots on it. It's possible, right? I doubt it. It's probably, I don't think you can get 500 people to say anything the same. But <coughs> let me read something else to you. There was a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus. He was a Jewish priest. He was taken into captivity by Roman government. He was then taken to Rome. And from Rome, underneath of the influence of the Roman government, he was asked to write Jewish history. And here's what Josephus, the non-Christian Jewish historian, these are his words that he wrote down, and you can look it up for yourself later if you'd like. He said this, About this time lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man, for he was the achiever of extraordinary deeds and was a teacher of those who accepted the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many Greeks. He was the Messiah. When he was indicted by the principal men among us, and Pilate condemned him to be crucified, those who had come to love him originally did not cease to do so, which means they kept loving him. For he appeared to them on the third day restored to life. As the prophets of the deity had foretold these and countless other marvelous things about him, and the tribe of the Christians, so named after him, has not disappeared to this day. That's Josephus, a Jewish historian, saying that he rose on the third day. That's Ju- Josephus saying he was the Messiah underneath the Roman government. Now, as you can imagine, there's been a lot of attacks on that writing. And if you go search the internet or search the, and you want to research that, you're going to find people, no, 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 that's not what he meant. That's what it says. That's not what he meant. No, he, he, he didn't, and, they, and they try to twist it and they try to turn it away. But let me explain to you. Let me just give you one other thing for witnesses. I've dealt with a lot of witnesses. Like I said, before I became a pastor, I was a police officer. And what I found is if a witness is lying, they'll only hold on to it so long. They'll only hold on to it so long. In the face of difficulty because of their lie, they'll often recant and tell you the truth. They'll often change their story or they'll try to, they'll, they'll begin to not, they don't want to talk about it anymore. They'll just kind of begin to try to slip away because they realize there's a penalty, there's a consequence for the lie or for the untruth they've told. But I want to suggest to you, I've also found that when somebody's back is against the wall, they'll do anything to get themselves out of trouble, including telling their friends. You see, when I started out as a police officer, you'd talk to people on the street. You'd say, oh, I'm not, I don't, that, that's a snitch. I'm not snitching. I'm not doing any of that stuff. But you put somebody in handcuffs, 
And you let them know they're looking at 40 years. And you know what? Most of the time, how, what can I do to get out of it? How can I get a lower sentence? What can I do? And they want to start talking. Rob, why are you telling us that? Telling us that? Because I want you to know with the exception of John, every one of the apostles that saw the risen Christ died testifying of what they saw. Not one of them recanted. Eleven men, twelve if you want to count the apostle Paul, went to their death without saying, no, 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 it was a hoax. No, 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 we just pretended. No, 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 we're just kidding. We really, it was John, he stole the body. Don't kill me. No, no, don't, no, I'll tell you the, I'll tell you the truth. I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in. As a matter of fact, at Peter's death, church history tells us he was going to be crucified. And he told them, he said, listen, my Lord, my Savior was crucified. I'm not worthy to be, die like he died. Crucify me upside down. And church history says Peter was crucified upside down on a cross because he wasn't worthy to die in the manner of which Jesus Christ, his Savior, died for him. I can tell you the number of witnesses to that incident, to the resurrection, says to me, there's something there. There's something there. Because the greatest hoaxes, the greatest, the greatest things, the greatest stories, they all come falling down at some point. The greatest schemes, that whether it be a pyramid, Bernie Madoff, or one of the financials, it all, it'll all crumble. It can't be propped up forever because somebody is going to give way at some point. But here we stand 2,000 years later, and secular history will tell us that Jesus Christ lived, Jesus Christ was crucified by the Romans, but we don't want to admit that he rose again because if we do, we have to admit he's God. We have to admit that he, he did die and he did conquer death. And if I do that, I have to place myself underneath of him because I'm recognizing him as God. They don't want to do that. Back to our, our uh, study here. Jesus is standing before him. Here I am. Look at me. Touch me. Let me have something to eat. And then look what he does in verse 44. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets, the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. In their doubt, as they stand before the Lord, Jesus says, listen, let me explain it to you. Let me open your understanding to the Scriptures. Let me show you what I'm trying to say. Let me show you... By the way, we didn't even talk about the prophetic words of his death and resurrection. We didn't even talk about Psalm 22 or Psalm 16 or Isaiah 53 or some of the other prophetic things that would have taken place that were told a thousand years before it happened. We've just taken a look at the, the witnesses. We've taken a look at the fact that it was foretold. But he stands with his disciples and says, let me share with you. That's a prayer of mine. I have in my Bible written, pray this. Pray this. What should I pray for, Rob? Pray that he'll open your understanding that, they might, that you might comprehend the Scriptures. You ever sit down and read the Bible and go, I don't have any idea what this is talking about. It makes sense when you talk about it, but I can't understand a word. Pray that before you start. Lord, would you open my understanding that I might comprehend the Scriptures? Would you show me how this applies to my life? Would you teach me something here, Lord? Don't be surprised when he does. Because he will. I also like it, the fact that the disciples are here. 
they're not doubting from a sense of we don't want to know the truth. They're doubting from the sense of we really want to understand. If you will seek the Lord, he will reveal himself to you, guaranteed. The only way you won't, your eyes will be blinded is if you're really not looking, if you don't want to know. If you want to close your eyes, stick your fingers in your ears, and ah, la, 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 I can't hear a thing, then you won't. But if you really want to know the truth, if your heart is, you know, I, I follow this God thing and this resurrection thing, I, just, I really want to know, is it true? If you seek, you will find, he says. But we have to be willing to seek. He tells his apostles, let me open it to you. Let me explain it to you. And he says something here. He opened their understanding. They might comprehend the scriptures. Verse 46, then he said to them, this is written and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. He says, guys, it was written down. I told you it was going to happen. It was necessary. I know you were broken up all those two days while I was in the grave. I know you were trying to, I know, I'm, listen, I'm sorry. I know you guys were all upset. I know there was no hope. But I told you it was going to happen. I told you it was going to take place. Let me explain it to you. Lord, why did you have to do such a thing? Why did it have to happen this way? Look what he says in verse 47. That repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem you are until you are endued with power from on high. Why did it have to happen this way? Because you've got a job to do. As the apostles, I'm going to start a church, and I need you guys to do it. You're going to be preaching something. You're going to be teaching something. You're going to be teaching repentance and what? Remission. Repentance and remission, what is that? Repentance is to turn away from something. To call someone to repentance means, Lord, forgive me for doing something. Any of you ever need to repent? Yeah. Repentance is when I get on my knees and I say, Lord, forgive me. But it's not just asking God to be sorry. It means I'm turning away from something. And when you do that, there's remission of sin. Remission. You know what remission, if you ever had cancer, you know what remission is. That's what you want to hear, right? My cancer is in remission. My, my, my illness is in remission. I'm, I'm in remission. I'm healed. It's no longer in me. That's what he says he's preaching. That's what the gospel is. Christ died. He was buried and he rose again for the remission of our sins. Well, how do I achieve that, Rob? You repent. You believe exactly what I just told you, the gospel I shared with you. Now, I want to share one more fact with you. We've done two so far. We've talked about the proof of the resurrection. We've talked about the prediction of the resurrection, but I, I don't want to leave you without talking about the power of the resurrection. Three P-letter words, that's pretty good. I don't usually find P-letter words like that. The prediction, the proof, and the power. There is power in the resurrection. And the power of the resurrection, the power that raised Christ from the dead, still lives today in you and in me. Listen, the power of the resurrection... If he hadn't rose from the dead, if the stone hadn't been rolled away, how would we know for sure that the penalty for our sins was received? What if he had just died and they buried him and the stone stayed sealed? Jesus died for my sins. Oh yeah, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. Yeah, but lots of people died. He died for my sins. Wait a minute. Isn't the, isn't the penalty of sin death? Yeah, and he died. But that's it right? That's it. There's no more. He died for him. I believe it. Are you sure? I think so. How do we know that he died for our sins? Because of the resurrection. 
Because of the power of the resurrection. Because the empty tomb existed. And you can go to Israel today, and it's probably not the same tomb. I know we're going over there next year, but it's probably not the same tomb that we go see as tourists, but it's a nice, nice idea, same concept. But the empty tomb existed. Christ's body was gone. There's power in that. That's what tells me that I'm sanctified. That's what tells you that you're justified. That's what tells you that you're at peace with God. That's what tells you that you're right with God. That's what tells you that when you sin today and tomorrow that you can ask for forgiveness, and it's forgiven. Because if we hadn't had that power, if we didn't have that power available to us, we'd still, we'd still be left wondering. We'd still be, we'd still be confused. Acts chapter 4, verse 33 tells us, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And with great power they gave witness. They all, after spending time with Christ, couldn't help but to go out and share the good news. He's risen from the dead. That's what we celebrate today, that he's risen. Now, when I say that he's risen... Does it ring in your heart true? Do you understand it, that he's risen for your sins? The, the, the fact that he's risen says, I can be forgiven. You see, because there's a lot of people that have heard the message of the gospel. Yeah, I've heard that before. I know that. I'm saved. If you're saved, there's going to be a change in your life. There's going to be a difference in your life. There's going to be a, a yearning in your spirit to learn the things of God. You're not going to be perfect. But I want to share something real important to you. Salvation doesn't come because you went forward and prayed a prayer somewhere. It can come that way. Salvation comes in your heart when you understand that Christ died for you and you make a decision to believe that. That's when salvation comes. That can happen when you come forward and make a prayer. That can happen at home in your bedroom. That can happen here at this very moment. It can happen anywhere at any time. But when that happens, your life is going to begin to change. Because you are essentially saying, I am going to follow Christ for the rest of my life. I believe it. I'm going to follow. I'm willing to take the steps to do and learn and see the things the Lord wants me to do. Well, what do I have to do? You have to spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ. What about all my bad habits? Just spend time with the Lord. He'll work them all out. He'll, he'll let you know it's time to quit doing this and that. The Holy Spirit will minister to you. He's capable of doing that. He's much bigger than I am. I can, I, I can tell you what I think, but really it's what God thinks. But here's what I have to ask you this morning on this Resurrection Sunday. Have you done that? Have you made the decision to follow Christ? Have you decided? Have you ever taken a day and said, you know what? This is the day. As we celebrate Easter, this is the day I'm going to follow Christ. It's possible to sit in church for years and years and years and years and never decide that. It's possible to be a Bible scholar and know the Bible in and out and never made a decision for Christ. So this morning I'm going to ask you, have you made a decision for Christ? If your answer is no, or your answer is I don't know, or your answer is I think I did a long time ago, if your answer is not yes and I'm walking with him today, then I want to give you the opportunity to make the decision. I want you guys to understand, just to repeat after me. Father, I'm a sinner. And I know that you died for my sins. 
I need you, Lord. Forgive me for my sins. From this day forward, I will follow you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say God bless you guys and welcome to the kingdom of God. Welcome to the kingdom of heaven. Welcome to the family of Christ. Welcome to the church. We're not perfect, but we're forgiven. And I also want to say that you don't join a church when you believe on Jesus Christ. You join the family of Christ. It doesn't matter what church we belong to. It matters, do I have Christ in my heart? And if you prayed that prayer this morning and you truly gave your life to Christ, congratulations, your life will never be the same. 